Good morning, saints. I got Russ's glasses on. Hazel gave me Russ's glasses. I love this. This is, reminds me of Russ when he would talk over his glasses, you know. Um, okay, I want to answer this question. If, if, um, if, if you don't mind, I'll run right into this. Daryl and Lisa asked me a question from a book they were reading called The Power. This is all on tape, right? Good. Yeah, I want to tape the question and answer, too, because I think we'll get a lot of good stuff in the mornings, I mean, before the message, and then, so, anyway. Um, the Power of a Praying Husband by Stormy O'Martian. O'Martian? Is it Armiton? Armiton? Um, the Power of a Praying Husband. I think, that's, a, that's a, a woman, isn't it, Stormy? I think she also wrote The Power of a Praying Wife. Okay. Um, you know, not that everything is bad, and it, it, there's no, the only book that I would say I believe everything in it is the one I would write. <laughs> Which I'm, I hope to do that one day. I'm working on it, but then I could hand a book and say I believe everything in this book. But every book has some things I would say a little bit differently. The, the truth is in there, but there may be the way it's worded, I would have said it differently. Anyway, this is, this is something that was in this book that... Daryl and Lisa asked about that great question, and I think we need to look at it because it's really a bad teaching, it's, it's, and it's in this book about prayer. Let's look at this. Um, the question has to do with, about prayer, and it's, she says here, quoting the scripture, he's got here, ask James, what's the Okay, we all know this verse in Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so she teaches here that as a believer, if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. Regarding iniquity in your heart needs to be defined, I guess. But basically, is if you're in unconfessed sin or if you're in sin somehow, or you're thinking sinful thoughts, say, or you're whatever, you're in our thinking. We think that if we are in sin or walking in sin or regarding iniquity in our heart, that somehow that keeps God from hearing us. That's not the truth. It's not the truth. Let's look at some scriptures real quick. First of all, iniquity, the word iniquity and in this sense, this is the thing that we have to really know. Paul says, know how to rightly divide the scriptures. Before Christ, that was a true statement. That was a true statement, that sin would separate us from God. Before Christ, it was a true statement from Jeremiah that the, that the heart, the human heart, is desperately wicked and evil. Who can know it? That's a true statement. But that was before Christ. That's before the, a death occurred. Your death, my death, through him. That's before a resurrection occurred. That's before a new creation came. All of that. David, Psalm 51, he yearned for what you have now. He said, oh God, God, blot out my transgressions. Blot out my sin. Create in me a new heart. Create in me a willing spirit. Create in me, Lord. You know, you don't want the blood of bulls and goats. You have no pleasure in those sacrifices that just cover the sins. He yearned for what you and I have. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Jesus himself came, the son of the living God came to take away the sin of the world and create in us a new heart. Amen. 
David yearned prophetically in Psalm 51 for, for what you and I have now. But if you don't rightly divide the scripture, you can, as a believer with a new heart, having passed from death into life, read Psalm 51 and put yourself back pre-Christ, pre-cross, pre-resurrection. And that's done every day in churches across the country and the world. Psalm 51 is the big go-to verse because there's nothing in the New Testament except 1 John 1, 9, which is misinterpreted and mistaught completely. So they have to go to Psalm 51 to tell the believer, you've got to confess your sins. You've got to make it right. Look at this. Look what David says. Take not thy Holy Spirit away from me. Psalm 51. That's horrible. That's, that's what, that was true in the old days before the Spirit was given. The Scripture says that the Holy Spirit was not yet given in a regenerative way, in a union way, because Christ was not yet glorified. See? But He has been glorified. The work has been done. He sat down. The Spirit has been given. It's a new day. The angel announced His birth and said, Behold, we bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. This is the game changer of the universe now. It's game changer time. Christ is here. And no matter what is going on, is this man sick because of his sin, Lord, or because of his parents' sin? Game changer is here. Neither is the answer, for I am here now, and this is just an opportunity to manifest the glory of God. See? Game changer. We must rightly divide the scripture. Paul says, yes, sure, the law is good, knowing this first, that it's not for the righteous. You wouldn't say that under Moses. You would never say that before Christ. Yeah, the law is good, but it's not for you. The righteous. And we know when Paul says the righteous, we know he's talking about those who are righteous because they have received the gift of righteousness. Paul never assumed, never. I mean, in a thousand years, all of his letters, all of his writings, it was very clear when he talked about the, a righteous person, he was talking about one who has received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness through Christ Jesus. See? So we've got to rightly divide the scripture. So this psalm that seems to say, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I'm going to show you three verses that will show so clearly that is not what that's saying to you as a believer. As you do, you fold in. I understood the root to be that it was also, if you're, let's say, not right through your wife. We're going to get to that. Hold that thought. Okay. We're going to get to that. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. We're going to get to that. That's the last thing I want to bring up. Uh, Daryl brought that up about how that your prayers be not hindered. Paul talked about that husband and wife, you know, live in peace among yourselves, that your prayers be not hindered. She teaches here that that's the same thing regarding iniquity, that that hinders God will not listen to your prayers if your husband, you husbands and wives are not getting along together. That's not what that's saying at all. Paul is not saying that. But we're going to get to that last. Okay, look at these verses, if you would. Going back to this psalm. Psalm 66, 18. This is the, the scripture we're looking at right now. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And, and she claims in this book, that, that means what we just said, that if you're you know, in sin or if you uh, are contemplating sin or if any kind of sinful thing in your thinking, that God will not hear your prayers. First, let's look at Daniel chapter 9. If you would, Daniel chapter 9. And let me just say this while you're turning to Daniel 9. Do you realize, saints, that as a new creation, it's impossible to regard iniquity in your heart? Exactly. It's impossible. 
That's why in Romans 8, Paul talks about what happens in the heart of a believer. It says the Holy Spirit searches the heart, Romans 8. And what does it say? And it points out all the sin in the heart so you can repent of it. What does it say in Romans 8? It's so awesome. It says the Spirit of God searches the heart and He knows the mind of God that is in you even though you don't know it. And the Spirit will pray with utterances too deep for words because God Himself is inside you and He knows what He thinks. And He knows what you need. There's no mention of sin in the heart for a believer. There is no sin in the heart for a believer. There's a new heart. A new creation has been raised. It's impressive. Absolutely. And, and, and there's no condemnation because of this awesome transaction. Now, there is the power of sin, like Pam just brought out. There's the power of sin in our bodies, our mortal bodies in the flesh. The power of sin in the flesh, which wars against the real you. James talks about that. The power of, in our mortal body wars against the soul. See, the real soul, the new soul, the new you, see? But your soul is pure. Peter says, having, after having believed the truth, you have purified your souls, Jesus said, come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. The scripture says we have an anchor for the soul in Christ. So the soul has been made new. That's a new person. Not just your spirit, like some teaching out there that says just our spirit is saved. Our soul is being saved. No, the person has been saved. You have been born again. Not half of you. Not a third of you. Not just a third of you. Spirit only. That's what's widely taught in the body of Christ right now. That just a third of you has been born again. But there's two thirds God is working on. One third the soul and the other third the body, which will be made immortal. And that's true. That will be made immortal at at his coming. And we shall put on immortality the body. But you, the real person, is not the body. The body is just a vessel. The real you is spirit and soul. The person. The person has been made new. You really have been born again. You see, the first Adam was a living soul. God breathed upon him and he made him a living soul by the breath of God. But he was not joined to Adam. He walked with Adam, but he was not inside Adam. He breathed upon Adam, and he became a living soul. Living because it was the breath of God that gave Adam life. But the last Adam, Christ, was the Adam from heaven, the last Adam from heaven. He is the life-giving spirit, the quickening one. He, that Adam, has come and given us not just a living soul, but he has created us new and joined us to the life of God himself. A new heart, a new creation. The new creation is not just, you're not just back where the garden was where you had a living soul. The whole soul has been transformed. The whole being has been transformed. We've been translated into the kingdom of of the beloved son. Now you think just your spirit's over there and your soul's over here? No. Where did circumcision take place? What, do, what is the teaching of spiritual circumcision? Was there a circumcision, circumcision between spirit and soul? No. The scripture says God cut by his own hand the body of the flesh and cut away the outer man from the inner man. The inner man is soul and spirit. The inner man is invisible. The outer man is visible. The joints and marrow of the visible man, a sword, a natural sword can only pierce through the joints and the marrow. But the invisible man of soul and spirit, a sword sharper than any two-edged sword of this earth, can pierce to the invisible man and reveal the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the gospel of grace can go forth. And those who hear the gospel of grace can either reject it or receive it. For, the, for we are naked before God, the scripture says, for all that we have to do. And when this word of grace, this word of rest comes forth, the thoughts and intents of the heart are revealed. And they who want to be godly so that men would call them godly, resist the grace of God. And those who want God for God, receive the grace of God. Amen. 
And so the poor go, go, to, go to him with joy and the pride he turns away because they don't want him. They just want to be known as godly, the Pharisees. Awesome. Okay, let's look at this. This is so cool. Daniel 9. Daniel 9. This is the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. He says here, look in verse 24, Daniel 9, verse 24. This is what the Lord himself will accomplish as the Messiah when he comes. He said here, Daniel said, actually this is Gabriel talking to Daniel, giving Daniel the prophecy. And he says here, 77s have been, been, been decreed for your people, meaning the Jewish people, and your holy city, referring to Jerusalem, to finish the transgression. In other words, what I'm about to read here, this will all be done within 77s of years, beginning from a starting point, which he will say later, from the time the decree goes forth to rebuild the city. So there's a timeline the angel is giving Daniel when all these things will be accomplished. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, and here it is, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. The word place is not in the Hebrew. To anoint the most holy, which is a reference to Christ himself. Here, the scripture says that the Messiah, when he comes, will make atonement for iniquity. Here, the angel mentions three things. Transgressions, sin, and iniquity. Iniquity is the greatest of them all. Because iniquity is the root. We were born in iniquity, David said. I was born in in iniquity. Iniquity has to do with the power of sin that comes to you and I from birth, from the fall. It's our very nature. We are not naturally a partaker of the divine nature. We are born with a fallen nature. It is iniquity. It is, in the, in the Hebrew, it means bent. We're bent away from God. We're bent toward ourself. Self-centeredness instead of Godward. So we're all born with that. And then it also mentions here sin and transgression. Those are the three biggies. Iniquity is the very root of the human dilemma, the human condition, that we are born estranged from God and not a partaker of the divine nature and not naturally a child of God. We're only a child of God in terms of creation, but we're not even, that's not really a child of God. We live a marred image of the original son, which was Adam, because Adam was called the son of God, but then he fell and now he, he becomes, his children became the son of Adam and not the sons of God. So we are all sons of Adam and Eve, fallen. So you have iniquity as the root. Then you have sin and transgression. Sin is, is, an, is, a, is, is a more of a, an act, but it also can be a noun. It's like a power that works because of this iniquity, because of this state. And when we act or when the power manifests, the power of sin manifests under law, then that becomes a transgression. So you have law and acting with, with the power of sin under law becomes a transgression. Then you have the very power itself, sin, that is being manifested that comes from the root, which is iniquity. Okay, Messiah would take care of all three. 
All three. Iniquity would be atoned for. Sin would be put away and the transgression would be finished. No more transgression because no more law. As Paul says, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Okay. The next thing he says in this passage is he will bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, seeing that we have everlasting righteousness and iniquity has been atoned for, you read Psalm 66, 18 completely different. Because Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That was true before Messiah came. But now that he has made atonement for iniquity, there's no way that he could not hear you. All right, let me show you another verse. This is so cool. Look at Hebrews, please. Rightly dividing the scripture, we need to see what is pre-Christ and what is after Christ. If you would, let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews, let's look at Hebrews chapter 7. I'm sorry, not 7. Um, Hebrews chapter 10. And while you're looking for that, I'm going to pull out Jeremiah real quick. Jeremiah 31. Okay, well, let me read Jeremiah 31 first real quick. This is where Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah 31 in the Hebrew letter. So let me read it first from Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, and this will be a very familiar verse in 30, let's see. Yes, 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 31. Well, we can start with 31, 31. He says here, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I love this, verse 32. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. See, so it's not like this covenant I made them when I brought them out of Egypt on Mount Sinai, not like the law, not like that covenant. I'll make a new covenant. He's identifying which covenant he's saying it is not like. So it's not like this law covenant. Okay, it's not like the Ten Commandments. It's not like the law. And then he says, um, but in this new covenant, I will, I, will, I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, I will put my law within them and on their heart, I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And, of course, we've talked about this before, that what he's talking about is an inward, inward thing. It's, it's actually God saying, I'll put my nature in them. Because I will, what, the source of the law is God. And so by putting God's nature in us is like writing it on our heart and giving us a new heart. Ezekiel talked about the new heart that we receive in, in the new covenant. Okay, now look, this is the big part right here, verse 34. And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. Okay, hold right there. See, in the Old Covenant, there was part of the law was to teach your children all the, th- all the things about the Lord in the morning, noon, and evening. You know, teach them, teach them. Te- tell them about what happened in Egypt. Tell them what happened in the wilderness. Tell them what happened in the battles. Tell them, remind them of the Ten Commandments. Tell them what, what God is like. Teach your children, teach your children. Because, because God was not inside them. So it was natural, fallen natural man being given information. 
teach them, teach them, teach them, okay? But in the new covenant, they shall all be taught of God, the scripture says. Because God will be inside the believer, inside the new creation. So that's why he says here, they shall no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord, and teach about the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. In other words, used to, only the prophets and the kings that were anointed with the Spirit would have this inner knowledge of God. The Spirit would rest upon them and and lift sometimes. Saul had the Spirit lift. It was not in them in a union way, but upon them. God was with them and not inside them yet. And so those who had the spirit, the great ones like prophets and kings and priests, they could hear things and know things about God. But now the promise is to the least, to the greatest, they all shall know me because I shall be inside every single one of them. Isn't that awesome? All right. Now listen to this part. And, I, and they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember them no more. You see it? Pam just got a big smile. You see? Now listen, saints. Jeremiah says this is coming. It's going to be a new covenant. Not like the covenant I made with Israel and I brought them out of Egypt on Sinai. A new covenant. Hebrews quotes this verse and says, it's here. The, the new covenant is here. This is Hebrews. And this covenant, in this covenant, God says, I will have be merciful to all your iniquity. I will... Forgive all your iniquity. I'll remember it no more. Now, you read, go back. If you go back before this new covenant and read Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. You see, saints, how that is no longer applicable for you and I? If God is saying in the new covenant, I'll remember your sin, your iniquity no more. Under the covenant of law that he brought, that he cut with Egypt with Israel that when he brought him out of Egypt that was true Psalm 66 18 David talked about these things that's the covenant he lived under but the new covenant God says new day new covenant I'll remember your sin no more your iniquity no more I'll be merciful to all your iniquities in other words and it's so awesome because he actually creates a new heart in us there's no barrier does he hear us John says he hears us First John, he hears, when we pray, he hears us. Why? Because we're in him and he's in us. We have an open heaven. We don't have any kind of barrier between us and him now anymore. Okay? Now, last verse real quick. Look at this verse, if you would. Uh, Psalm 53. Psalm 53. I'm not Psalm 53. Uh, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 says, we all know this, this chapter very well. Speaking of the Christ, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one for whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Verse 4, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our, for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You see it? That's the word of God. God just said in his own words for the new covenant, I'll remember your iniquity no more. 
Some, I mean, Isaiah 53, but the prophet says, This one, God shall lay the, the iniquity of us all upon him. Gabriel, the angel, speaks to Daniel and says, When Messiah comes, he shall bring atonement for all iniquity and bring in everlasting righteousness. And then we still read Psalm 66, 18 and get hung up on that? No, saints. Listen to the word of God. We live not by just the scripture. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Proceeds out of the mouth of God. When God told Abraham to slay Isaac, he was about to slay Isaac. But there was another word that proceeded out of the mouth of God that said, do not slay Isaac. We don't live by the Bible. We don't live by the dead word. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is the proceeding word of God now? The proceeding word is that he has removed our iniquity. He has taken away our sin. And he says, nothing shall separate you from me. I had laid upon him, my son, the iniquity of us all. Go. You see it? That's what the church needs to be shouting from the housetops. The proceeding word of God. Yes, there was a covenant cut on Sinai, but there's a new covenant. The proceeding word of God. The word, what's, the, what's the now word of God? The new word of God. Is it slay Isaac or don't slay Isaac? Notice you can't do both of those. It's impossible. And it's impossible to live under two covenants. One is the covenant of death, the law, slay Isaac, the letter of death. And one is the covenant of life. But when he sees the ram caught in the thicket, it's the substitution of life. Don't slay Isaac. The two covenants are right there before us. The proceeding word of God. Yes, it was the word of God to slay Isaac. But Abraham did not obey that word. Why? Because he heard a proceeding word from God that said, do not slay Isaac. Awesome. So you with confidence. Sorry, I'm yelling. With you with confidence can tell the enemy who tries to condemn you and bring up Old Testament verses. Satan loves to bring verses up. He quoted the master and said, you like scripture? I'll give you scripture. It is written that if you stumble on a stone, the angels will pick you up and take care of you. What do you, th- what do you say to that? Let's jump off the temple and see if it's true. See? He loves scripture. And when the enemy brings up Psalm 66, 18 and says... You have regarded iniquity in your heart and God's not going to hear you. You can say, be gone, Satan. A new covenant has come. He remembers my iniquity no more. Messiah has come and he has made atonement for all iniquity. And this one, this Christ, this son who bore our sorrows and took our grief. God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. For what purpose did he lay the iniquity of us all upon him? For this purpose, to take it away, to remove it. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Open heaven, sons and daughters of God. It's awesome. So now, yes, Charlotte. Pardon? Yeah, there are several. You want to maybe do that next Sunday? There's several. It's Old Testament prophecies, Ezekiel, and New Testament also about the new heart, the new creation. Absolutely. The circumcised heart. Yes, disappear. But that's a good question. We'll talk about that next, next uh, Sunday. That's Hebrews. Um, 
8, chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8. Okay, let's, but real quickly, I want to look at this other thing that was said in the book here about our prayers being hindered. Paul's writing about husbands and wives living in peace and harmony with each other, that your prayers be not hindered. She takes that in this book. First, she's got the wrong premise. Remember last, last time I shared, I talked about if you have the wrong premise, you'll have the wrong conclusion. And so the premise she has is that the believer, that God will not hear prayers if you are, have sin in your life or if you're, you know, regard iniquity in your heart, which is impossible for a believer to regard iniquity in our heart now as a new creation. But she says here that with that premise that what Paul is writing about is that God will not hear your prayers if you don't get along with your spouse. Well, you've heard that taught a thousand times. That's the church's thinking. That's the wrong premise, wrong teaching, wrong conclusion. Paul, the, the Greek word there for hinder is actually means to chop off or to uh, cease. It has nothing to do with a Godward thing. It's from man to God. In other words, th- think about this. If you and your wife or you and your husband pray together from time to time, or even individually from time to time, if you're mad or upset with your husband, your spouse, wife, guess what? You're not going to pray together as much. It's going to be chopped off. It's going to be from, it'll be from this direction. So Paul is saying, live in peace with each other. Love each other. Husbands, live with understanding with your wife. Understand her her weaknesses. Wife, understand your husband's weaknesses. Live with understanding. Understand the strengths of your husband and his weaknesses. Understand the strengths of your wife and her weaknesses. So you can live with understanding and encourage each other. And as Christ did nourish and cherish the church, husbands, cherish and nourish your, your wife. And wives, as we live and look up to him and honor him, honor your husbands and respect your husbands and give him honor and let, let there be peace and harmony in the marriage. You know, not because God is going to stop listening to your prayers, but Paul is saying here because you, husband and wife, will stop praying to God. It will be chopped off. It will be hindered because you won't want to say, honey, let's pray. No, you're going to say, get out of my face. I don't want to look at you right now. I'm mad. So it's going to be a major hindering of prayers going up between husband and wife to the heavens. That's what he's saying. It's, it's as simple as that. God is not stopping the hearing. We're stopping the praying. Does that make sense? That's what that's saying. So when you get the premise right, that there's no barrier between you and God, then yes, there can be a hindrance between husband and wife praying to God, especially together if there's discord in the marriage. So Paul says, don't let that happen. Let, let, let your prayers flow freely from a place of harmony in the marriage so you can constantly be communing together as a couple to God. Because God's there the whole time going, oh, you know, with a broken heart saying, I want peace for you. I want peace in your home. I want peace in your home. I want, I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to come to me together. I want you to believe for the great things I have for you in your, in your future. Come to me. Peace. Peace. See, God's not hindering. We hinder ourselves by that situation. So, when you understand that iniquity has been done away with, we can read those Old Testament scriptures and see that that no longer applies 
if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord, Lord would not hear me, is no longer a verse that has any meaning for me whatsoever. No more meaning than, it, than the verse that says, when you commit a sin, take a turtle dove to the temple. No more meaning than a verse that says, on the eighth day, you should be circumcised to be a part of the tribe of God. Circumcision availeth nothing. No more meaning than a verse that says, you must go up to the temple three times a year and celebrate Passover and, and, and Pentecost and Feast of Tabernacles. That verse has no meaning to me in terms of my life, except to see Christ in all of those verses. I see Christ who has removed my iniquity. I see Christ in all the feasts of Israel. I see Christ in all these things that the Old Testament commanded, the, the sacrifice to the priest. Even Jesus said when he heals someone, he says, take a sacrifice to the priest according to the law of Moses as a testimony to them. What he was saying is that, that they might see I'm the one. I'm the one that, that's coming. He says, don't do as the Pharisees do, but do as they say, because they, they now sit in Moses' seat, because that's the, that's the law now, but that's not going to be for long. The day is coming, the hour is coming, and now is, when there'll be the true worshipers who worship, not in this mountain in Jerusalem or in Samaria, but in the spirit, in another, in another realm, in union with my Father, in spirit and in the reality, in truth, for such my Father seeketh to worship him. The reality, the sons and daughters of God with no barrier between us. That's what's coming in the new covenant. And that's what you have now. Awesome. You see it, saints? You see it? Be bold to proclaim these things. And, and don't, be a, don't, sh don't shy away from the scripture that seems to diametrically oppose what the new covenant says. You can say, as Paul said, yes, the law is good. It's got its, it's, got its use. Knowing this first it is not for the righteous. What? It's not for us. It's not for us. And the whole, the whole mindset that's around the covenant of law is not for the righteous. You see that? Not just the law is not for the righteous, the righteous in Christ, but the whole mindset of the covenant of law is not for the righteous. Part of that mindset is, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord, Lord will not hear me. Part of that, part of that mindset is, I've got to take a sacrifice on a daily basis maybe to cover my sin because I sinned. Part of that mindset is I'm never free from sin. Part of that, that mindset is I'm never righteous. I'm never good enough. See, that's the whole mindset of the covenant of law. It is really the mindset of the flesh and not of the spirit. So what happens when I do have evil thoughts and I'm, I'm, or I'm committing sin or I have some secret sin in my life? How can God hear me? In this new covenant. Because, saints, he has done something so awesome in reconciling us to himself. In laying all our iniquity upon the Christ. He literally has cut away the real you from your body. He has raised from the dead and called into being that which did not exist before. He has given you a new name, and you are his. You're no longer from the Adamic race, but from above, joined to him. He our head, we his body. But he has allowed the power of sin to remain in our members, in our mortal body. And so 
that power which is stimulated by law, or the law is not of faith. The power of sin is actually, in essence, stimulated by anything that is not of faith. Get that, saints. The law is not of faith. The scripture says the law stimulates sin in the flesh. The scripture also says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. The real key there in walking in the spirit and not walking in the flesh is to live completely, always learning how to live completely dependent in faith in him who lives within. As we grow in faith, faith to faith, glory to glory, and living more dependent. I had a sister tell me the other day, she goes, I never knew, I never knew that there was such a depth of dependence in Christ that was waiting for me. And she said, it's glorious. She said, I never knew there was such a depth of dependence, like, and it's joyful. It's not a burden. It's a joyful dependence that without him I cannot breathe. That's where he's, that's where he's bringing us. See? And, that's, and so when we have evil thoughts and the sin, flesh seems to be taken over. All that is, saints, is that we need to stop and go back to our focus. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the things of the spirit, not of the flesh. The mindset on the flesh is death. And the power that is in these mortal bodies will be circumvented. It will be short-circuited. It's the spirit, the presence that puts to death the deeds of the body. See? And then we return to our rest and to our true identity. And the love of God fills us. And we find ourselves walking in that love because that's who you really are. So when you, you and I sin and stumble and stuff, don't think that's me, that's my evil heart. No, that's the power of sin that's still in the members, in my body. But the real me is as pure as Christ. Otherwise, he could not be inside you. He could not be inside me. It's awesome. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's why, saints, I've said this a thousand times, but that's why when you put off this body, when I put off this body, there'll be no temptations, no hindrances, You will know all things as you are known by God instantly because the real you will be freed from the brain. The brain is of this creation. See, the brain is of this creation. The brain, after you die, will be in the skull. It will be in the skull. It will be in the casket. The brain will be in the skull, in the casket when you die. That's not the real you. The mind is you, the real mind. You have the mind of Christ. The real you is spirit and mind and the person, the person, the person. That's the real you that's inside this infected brain. That's why we see in part and prophesy in part because we're having to work through these infected brains. They're infected with the power of sin and wrong thinking. And so the power of the Spirit is renewing our minds to the reality, breaking through old thoughts, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, Pulling down strongholds and wrong thinking that have the wrong idea of who God really is. So are you saying Isn't that awesome? The mind and the brain are two different Absolutely. The mind and the brain are two different things. Because when you die, where's the brain? It's still here. And when you, when you're raised from the dead, where are you? Where's the, I mean, where's the, when you leave the body, where's the mind? The mind is in heaven. That's exactly right. The brain is of this creation. But the mind is new. And in fact, the scripture says we now have the mind of Christ. Christ amen. Yes. Has this thought before? Alzheimer's is in the brain. Depression is in the brain. Autism is in the brain. Parkinson's is in the brain. None of that will go with us. And when you look at autistic child, hey, they are speaking to you clearly when they're in heaven. That's it. Somebody who has Alzheimer's, when they, the minute they leave the body, they will be speaking as though they've had 
they will look young again too. Everything, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's like, it's, it's, it's the, the infirmity of our flesh. We work through the infirmity of our flesh. But you and I, if we could see what we really look like now, we are glorious. He made us glorious in his image. He raised us new in him. So we walk by faith and not by sight. But in heaven, there's no need for faith in heaven. For we shall see him face to face. face. Why do you yet hope for that which you have received? See, when you receive it, there's no more need for hope. Faith, hope, and love, only these remain on this earth. But the greatest is love because that remains forever for God is love. But faith and hope will fall away as we see him as he is and as we receive all that is. Only love remains because that's who he is. It's awesome. Yes. Yes, the mind is renewed. The only reason why the mind has to be renewed. Yes, the mind, the mind needs to be renewed only because it's working through an infected brain. That's why when you leave the brain, you immediately, that, that renewal that was going on on earth, gradually, as we saw new things and understood new things, that renewal immediately takes place. The moment you leave the body, you know all things, Paul said, as God knows you. You, immediately, you know all things. Immediately. What's the difference? Because you're out of the body. But while you're in the body, the mind, the spirit of God has to work through these thoughts. This brain. The brain has to be, has to be activated because we're still of this world in, the ter- in terms of a, the body. Because we, that's how we communicate with this world is through the body. We see. We hear. We taste. We communicate. We're witnesses of, a, of an invisible reality. So the brain that's infected is hindering the real you from seeing things. And the process of that growing awareness of what is, is called the renewal of the mind. But that mind is already complete, for the scripture says we now have the mind of Christ. You see? So we now have the mind of Christ, but because we're in the brain, there's a dynamic that's going on that the brain is hindering you. We see in part, we prophesy in part. Why? Because we're working through fallen, a fallen creation. But we are not of this creation, Hebrew says, anymore. So we are like, it's, our brains are foreign to who we are. It's just like, just like the heart, the lungs, all of this is from this creation. It shall not inherit the kingdom of God. None of the body shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's why the real you on the inside will, will be clothed with immortality. The, the real you will be put, will put on a new body. It will, it will clothe the, the invisible you with an immortal body so that that which is inside will match that which is outside. Nothing of this flesh will inherit the kingdom, even including the brain. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's so cool. It's awesome. Remember uh, John 3, Nicodemus asked Jesus, I don't understand. His brain was infected. That's why Jesus, you must be born again. That's exactly right. Become a new creature. That's exactly right. Become because young again. That's a, your brain refreshed. That's exactly right. He says, unless you're born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen. You cannot see this unless you're born of the Spirit. You cannot see yeah. Madison, though, it's just fascinating, your premise, conclusion thing. The brain working on dendrites from the out, outside in, hmm. what we see, the seen world, affects, literally, they can study fi- the brain firing. Right. But from our imagination, our heart, our spirit, we can also fire the brain, so the brain's being removed from the inside out instead of the outside. Spirit. Yes, and yes. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So just all the, the self-help speakers is outside in. Is working outside in, and they can. I can. I can trigger emotions now 
from outside stimulus. You could too. We could put ourselves in a state. You can listen. You can smell cologne, cologne or perfume that triggers things from the outside in. Yep. Or the past, your past thoughts, all that from the brain, all of the brain. That's like Elihu said in the book of Job. The prophet Elihu in the book of Job said he was listening to Job's friends, you know, talking, and he said he was listening, you know, and Elihu was a young man, and he said, "I thought you guys would have wisdom and help Job." And he says, "I'm like new wine that's about about to vent. I must speak." And so Elihu goes, he goes, you know, I, I thought old age would teach wisdom. I heard all you older guys talking to Job, and none of your stuff is right because here's young. Elihu, a prophet, he goes, he goes, none of this is right. I thought old age would teach wisdom. And then he says this, uh, Job chapter 32. He says, but there is a spirit in man. And inspiration from the Almighty gives him understanding. Inside out. Exactly. See, but there's a spirit in man. And inspiration from the Almighty gives him understanding. In other words, beyond his years. Beyond his experience. It goes from the inside out. As opposed to the brain is stimulated from the outside in. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Ah, this is so cool. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see. We're out of time. Thank you, Father, for these, these riches in Christ. Lord, help us see these things that we might teach others. Help others see the way of the Spirit, the way of Christ. What an awesome work, O oh Lord. You took upon yourself our iniquity. It's gone. We have an open heaven. Come to me. Come to me boldly to a throne of grace. And you will find there mercy and help in time of need. Amen.